greetings and good morning. It is up to me today, because the other guys are apparently doing all the storytelling, to introduce you to Lot 16, Episode 11. And in this episode, some really awesome things happened, and also some really terrible things. So here, have a listen. In rifts. In rifts. In rifts. Greetings, folks, and welcome to what I'm sure is going to be a refreshing bit of just good old-fashioned storytelling. This is going to be episode 11, all-encompassing, of Lot 16, uh, euphemistically entitled The Flood. And in this session, and basically what's going to happen this time, there actually was no game recording on this one. The game recording that I had for this session was damaged, and the recording just didn't come through. So, alas. That being said, I am going to just go through this literal mire and storytell what actually took place. The good news is that, that will keep everything short and sweet. Now, to pick up where the last episode left off, now this session, the group has Winifred now. They successfully uh, picked her up and made her part of the team. It was an authorized kidnapping, and Winifred decided to stick around. And the group actually decided to train her. More on that later. Now, Ronan, the, the Otterdillo Samurai, he has successfully reforged and restored his swords. And that pretty much was his side quest, which was deemed important enough to have the entire group disagree to do. So they have Winifred, and Ronan has restored his blades. Sadly, the search for the wizard is still going to have to be put on hold, though, because the CS is going to actually flood the slums with that bioweapon. That's the whole reason why they held on to that nanomite-infested water. And seeing how the group is currently staying inside of the base, that is the manual hub for that uh, infected flood water. Well, we are in the perfect position, and the nominal position, to prevent this collision from doing this. Now, first question that comes up, wait, why are they flooding the slubs with this bioweapon? What would even prompt them to be doing this in the first place? Well, for those of you who have been paying attention, this Dr. Jones, whoever he is, doesn't seem to care much about, well, life forms in general, whether they're human, animal, or alien. He has the ability to conduct an experiment and his guiding star, apparently, is, I'm going to see what happens when I do this. In character, that is all that is known. This Jones doesn't seem to have any regard for life, so we need to stop him from doing this, because he's just being a horrible person. Now, do they know it's him? Yes, they do. How do they know it's him? Simple. They are in a coalition base that is still hooked up to the coalition mainframe. They have access to government-grade computers, the government information network, and even a limited amount of coalition technology, weapons, and armor. Uh, there were some things left behind in the base that the group now had access to, and they made good use of them. So the things that happened this time around for episode 11 will actually be as follows. Now, they're inside the base and many of them have plans, and many of them have side quests, and many other things that they just wanted to get done this session. And this actually was the perfect session to go ahead and do that. So the first thing that happened while inside this base, did Z finally ever get a computer? Now if you remember from last time, the one that she used <laughs> blew up. What? Well, Z, played by my good friend Maddie, is stubborn, in and out of character, and she didn't give up. 
and it actually turned out to be a good thing this time around because she actually finally cracked it with Reagan's help. But the only thing that Reagan did was drive the story along. Maddie actually did successfully make all the skills, and not only did she successfully extricate one of the computers for herself, but she also stumbled on to the Coalition's plan to reactivate this base by remote and release all those floodwaters into the slums. Now, it was also at this point that they discovered that there's more to it than just the experiment. The Coalition actually do want their power plant back. And again, remotely accessing and removing the floodwaters, well, the nanomite-infested floodwaters are the thing that would keeping this base safe from them. Now, this didn't get covered in the last session, but that's because it happened so quickly that I didn't have time to write the rules on it. I've had some time to think about it, and now I can actually give you uh, the details. If all the water that's surrounding this base is infected, how did the group get in? Well, they were going in through a pipe. Now, this pipe is flooded, but the pipe has an access point that is actually past a water filter. Now, that filter is actually very important because it's a monomolecular filter. So basically, the entrance that this group chose, and that's uh, also where they keep their diving bell, first off, it's big enough for them to actually keep a diving bell at this entrance point. That's one. And number two is, yes, this access point is past a monomolecular filter. Thus, the group is actually able to enter the water without being affected by the nanomites, and thus they can successfully and safely enter the base. Now, what you may be asking yourself is, wait, if there's a safe place to enter the base, well, don't the Coalition know about this? Well, that's just the thing. They weren't looking for it. Plus, it's a big city, and they didn't exactly send the city engineers down here to deal with the problem. They sent the military, and the military's not going to know what they're looking for, especially if they're using Skelebots, who are not exactly high on the artificial intelligence pole as it is. So hopefully that answers the question as to why the group was able to safely move through the water and get to the base when all this water is supposedly infected. Ronan knew something that nobody else did. How did he know this? Well, again, going way, way back to episode two, he's the one that caused the nano weapon to get into the water in the first place. Did this ultimately turn out to be a good thing? Well, yes and no. The water is keeping this nano weapon at bay, but let's please not overlook the fact that, <laughs> um... You suck, yes, jackass! Ronan the Otter Samurai did still make a huge mistake and release a nanomite-based bioweapon into the atmosphere, which was ultimately going to be put into the water system for the slums. Now, which all this kind of leads back to flooding the slums. Now, why? There has to be something beyond all this besides Dr. Jones just being a terrible person and wanting to experiment on all of humanity. But again, more on that later, just addressing the question and putting it out there. Now, the thing that happened next, the group has the home, they are living in this base, and Z successfully accessed the computer and found out what the Coalition was trying to do. They're going to try and remotely access their base to flood the slums with this infected bioweapon, which of course will kill tens of thousands of people, because the nanomite weapon feeds on organic material. It won't hurt inorganic material. Therefore, people safely protected and ensconced in fully environmental mega-damaged body armor really have nothing to fear from this weapon. So what is the group going to do about this? Well, Z didn't get to make this revelation to everyone right away because everyone was off doing their own thing. Heine and Moonshine, they went on a heist. Now, it turns out that this heist was actually for Z uh, because they went and hijacked that wetware that she needed. Now, why does Z need wetware? Uh, this is a plan of hers that only came up in this session. She actually wanted to create little robots that are actually walking EMP grenades. She wanted to create little spider droids. They approach, they skitter up to a machine, latch onto it, wrap themselves around it, and blow it. 
or pinch sell it. So that is what she wanted to make, but she needed the technology to do so. Well, Heine and Moonshine successfully went out and swiped this for her, and based upon the materials they already had at the base, making the bombs wasn't that difficult. What they needed was the pinch cell technology, which, again, they did. Heine and Moonshine, by themselves, successfully swiped this. Citrus. Uh, the Juicer Gang. They were able to help them out with this as well. However, when this happened, the Juicer Gang got chewed on pretty hard by the Coalition because they had to break into... This actually happened on level 54. So they had to go yeah, about 40 levels up to make this heist, which took some skills and took some time. Thankfully, Doc Moonshine used to be a Coalition man, and he knew the ins and outs. And this also gave the tiny Heine a chance to use her hacking skills, which she actually has. We just usually defer to Z to do the hacking because she is better at it. But Heine still has those skills, and Heine also has skills such as Prowl, Disguise, and Forgery. Therefore, Heine really got a chance to stretch her thief and smuggler muscle this time around, while Moonshine, well, he feels that he owes the group something and that he owes the government something as well. Now, the demon llama Shang, he actually took Al with him, much against Z's better judgment. Ronan, played by Joe, the samurai decided that he wasn't going to let them go off and do who only knows what by themselves. He went with them. Now, what did they go out and do? Well, Shang went on a robbery and a heist of his own, because he needed chemicals. To what end? Well, he has oricalcum. And he also still has the tetradoxide xeronite, the golden substance that swiped when they first encountered the slug and came across all those vials of what they thought at the time was mutagen, but it's actually not. It's the unrefined product, which is even more volatile and unstable and dangerous, but he can now perfect it, and he can work towards perfecting it. But he needs more chemicals to do so. So he went out on a heist, but he was clever enough to disguise it as bounty hunting. He found a criminal who was into the chemicals that he was dealing with, and, well, turns out this criminal also works with Citrus, the gang of juicers. It makes sense that juicers would have access to chemicals, in fact, all they need. And this also leads into what I said before about Citrus Gang getting beat on a little bit harder than they probably should have for a heist of this caliber. Well, now the answer to this is really quite simple. See, Alan... Ronan didn't know who they were going after at the time. They also didn't know that he was a juicer. And by the time they found out who they were after and what they were into, it was well too late. Chang had his chemicals, and then he just kind of left them to their fate. All the while, that left Ronan and Al to take care of a group of juicers, which they did. But Ronan got some bones broken again, and Al took some damage. But they did successfully take out this very dangerous criminal, and believe it or not, they actually got paid for it. Suffice to say, nobody's happy with the Demon Llama, and, well, out of character it all came out what the Demon Llama was up to, because the only reason anybody could think of as to why he would need more chemicals would be to actually create and perfect the mutagen. Now, what did some of the other people have to do? Well, the only people left would be Red Eddie, Monty the Python, and The Wall. Now, The Wall actually had a plan for this base having its own power grid, so that we actually could without any loss of systems to the base, sever the main cables that connect this base to the remote accessing station 20 or 30 levels up. That is where the Coalition had actually hardlined into this base from. So sever all the lines and still have their own power. This base could easily enough, because it was just a giant cistern, though possible and it would take some work, which time they had, it would take a lot of work, but they could successfully create their own dam in this place. Because this place is the water hub for the slums, Now, so they learned that. In fact, all of the water that goes into the slums comes from this base. So the wall's idea was, if we create our own dam, not only can we still supply the water that the slums need, but we'll also have our own power grid. 
And so that was her plan, and Monty and Ed helped out with that. Monty, because Monty knows where the hard lines are for the base, and he located them, formulated the plan, and acquired the tools and gear necessary to completely sever those lines, and also sever those lines without uh, doing any permanent damage to the base as well. The wall did all the heavy lifting. Oh, they also enlisted the aid of Mortimer. Mortimer, the turtle bureaucrat, is still with them. He helped, not exactly doing what he wanted to do, but he got to help nonetheless his knowledge of nanomolecular circuitry. So Red, Eddie the Wolverine, Money the Python, and the Wall got to work creating their own dam and working on severing the hard lines so that they can, again, have their own dam, have their own power grid, provide water to the slums, provide power to our own base. Now, we've already discussed how Shane can now perfect the mutagen, and Z can now make her spider bots. James went willingly to his cell, he just went with his stuff, and he then perfected the mutagen. But they left him in there, and they actually were planning on killing him at that point. They'd had enough of him. They were going to actually just blow that cell, or they were actually going to let the nano weapon seep into that cell. I can't remember exactly what the plan was, because it was all their idea, and I don't have it written down in any of my game notes. But, uh, it would be at this point, the group actually took a little too much time, because the Coalition were coming for them. How? Well, again, fully environmental body armor are not affected by the nano-weapons, and they also brought a massive capsule with them. This capsule would be about the size of a boat, and yes, they brought this large, massive thing with them. And, well, first things first, all things being relative, it turns out the area where the fissure is located and how there was water below there, well, fissure being basically now just a giant hole, especially since the base has been blown to bits, that gave them a large enough pool of water to just toss that capsule in there, and it also gave them a means of ingress into the water that the group might not have seen coming. Now, the group did see it coming. The base's defenses, they may all be on the outside, and they're all in the water, and the Coalition did make good use of that, and they brought sea dogs with them, underwater samuses, a Navy SEAL group, and this capsule, and that is who went into this uh, infected water to go after the group. But they split off into two groups. Turns out the Coalition found the safe entryway into the base, and they were going to use that. While the other group of theirs basically just acted like a decoy and draws the group's attention and draws the base's automated underwater defenses as a total feint. The underwater Samuses took that capsule with them, and it seemed like that was their whole plan. The underwater Samuses just seemed intent on getting that capsule to the base, while the Navy SEALs and the Sea Dogs were basically just swinging around the base, shooting it with lasers, and using underwater ordnance as a means of keeping the group distracted from what the Samuses were doing, which was their real goal. Yes, in other news, this is where the group decided, okay, the base's defense systems actually did a pretty good job against the Sea Dogs and the Navy SEALs, shooting them up, killing them, driving them away. Half of them did die before they completely took out all of the base's defense systems, and then they proceeded to infiltrate the base in any way they could, which the group knew would mean their they were uh, any breaches will cause infected water to flood in here. So Z flew into action, and by flying into action, that meant that she and Reagan got on their computers and started isolating the levels that the Navy SEALs and the Sea Dogs were boring into, Meanwhile, it was also decided that somebody's going to have to go up there and do something about them. Well, the doctor did get to see to the injured, so anyone who's injured is now not injured, and that being the case, Ronan, who's a more than fair aquatic animal, and the wall, basically all the aquatics, are the ones who decided to go out there and do something about these guys who were trying to break into the base. And they all had full environmental body armors on them, which for Mortimer and the wall, that took some doing and some skills on their part, but that is what they decided to do. Now, Z and Reagan, doing the 
automated defense system thing, or at least that was the original plan, was to send the water dwellers out there to do something about that, but they actually couldn't, or at least not Mortimer and the Wall. It was ultimately revealed that those two, they actually had another plan, and it was Ronan who thought of this, which is why, according to my notes, I had the seed dwellers go out there to deal with the problem, but Ronan actually had another idea. He said that he was going to go out there with Al and take care of them, just him and Al. Oh, and the Demon Llama. This was going to be his redeeming slash assassination attempt. That, oh yeah, this would be the perfect way to get rid of him. The Law of Averages suggests that if we do pile enough guys on top of him, he will ultimately get killed. They're not wrong about that. So that was their plan. So Ronan took the Demon Llama with him and Al, and they went out into the water to deal with the Coalition agents boring their way into the base, while the Wall and Mortimer and Z did something else. Now, the other plan was to create the world's largest nanomolecular sieve, and they were going to uh, pioneer this from the filter that was in the first water area. Now, to do that, yes, the wall actually, she had to go back into the, the entryway. She destroyed the diving bell so the coalition couldn't use it, and found the filter and swiped it, and then they brought that into the base, made it bigger, they improved it, and they successfully made it a part of the dam. And this was the Wall and Mortimer and Z's big moment in this session. They successfully created the world's largest molecular centrifuge, and then they pretty much just let the Coalition do what it is they were going to do. More on that later, though. Ultimately and eventually, they did sever those lines so they would have their own power grid, but it didn't happen right away. I'll get you right now, but first things first, and to get this big plot point out of the way, it didn't matter that they were going to flood the slums now, because a, the base still had power, and the group did successfully hack in, so were the slums going to be flooded? No. We control the waterways. We did get our dam completed. Thus, they didn't need to cut the hard lines, because the dam's working, and we control the base. Z did make that hack, with Reagan's help. Reagan was also on the computers, and this was also a big success for Reagan, because Reagan knows things. She's from a different world, and she knows things about hacking and computer systems and getting things to work that this other group really doesn't know. And she also has access to technology that no one's ever seen before, technology that she has stolen from the Xeorons. So, yeah, it didn't matter that the Coalition remotely accessed the base, because A, they weren't able to flood the slums, and B, even if they had, it would have just been water. The nano-weapon were successfully collected and stored, and that is a weapon that the group now has access to and to use. Now, the tale of how we failed to sever the hard lines, and is this base still linked to the Coalition States? Yes, sadly, it still is. Why? Because Monty, Monty the Python, and Ed, it was their job to sever those lines because they knew where they were, but when they went out there to do that, they ran into the Snake Squad. Bowtie, Baby Rattler, and King Cobra. Ran into the three of them, who were sent to guard those lines, and the group sadly lost that fight. Lee did not grow another tail. He got poisoned and nearly beaten to death. He and uh, Bowtie, they got into a constrictor battle, which Lee won, but he didn't beat Baby or King. Between King's mesmerizing gaze and Baby Rattler's very, very deadly poison, and her deadly tail, as it turns out. Her tail now actually is a sound weapon. It drives down bonuses, which is why Monty the Python has huge bonuses to do everything based upon his leopard style of martial art. But with her rattler driving everyone's bonuses down, Monty wasn't able to roll phenomenally enough to get on top of all of his opponents. And Eddie, Ed made a kind of account of himself in that he actually 
got an, one successful attack off in a battle where King has an initiatory strike, and pretty much he used his initiatory strike to just bite Ed off the bat, and once bitten, Eddie... Now, Eddie can control his metabolism, but that was actually a generosity on the GM's part. You're not supposed to be able to save against his venom. The venom that King and Baby can both inject into a target, no, you yeah, you don't save against that crap. It kills you outright. Or in King's case, no, it doesn't kill you. It makes you a slave. So for as upset as Red Eddie was that his hyper-alter metabolism couldn't like immediately save him from this, it was actually generosity on my part that he was able to save himself at all. Because normally, yeah, you just don't. Thus, he got bit, but instead of becoming King's slave, his metabolism actually saved him from becoming King's slave. But that also meant that, yeah, he didn't really get an action off. He just kind of fell down and had to lay there and let his powers save his life. Also, fortunately, though, Monty and Bowtie entered dual mode, and they got into a constrictor battle, wrapping around each other to see who could squeeze each other the hardest. And, yeah, Monty the Python won, which also ended up ultimately saving Eddie's life, because King and Baby Rattler both had to focus on Lee. Baby Rattler was focusing on him anyway, because she hates him. So, Monty the Python got beaten to death, and he almost died. I believe it was Reagan who left her computers to go and save him from the Den of Snakes, and she successfully exploded the area with those knives that have bombs attached to them. But in doing so, something else happened. The snakes had to report into someone, and they actually recorded the event. Now, why is this a big deal? It's more of a bigger deal for Monty, because if you recall, he's supposed to be dead. As far as the government is concerned, he died, and he's been dead. Only a select few people knew that he was undercover. But at this point in time, who knew he was undercover? Well, the bride didn't. His sensei was not brought in on this. She was told that he was undercover. However, after the tournament happened, though, it was reported that he was dead. So, his sensei, who has always had a very unhealthy attraction towards him, had believed him slain. But then she sees this video where she sees he's clearly not dead. He's just betrayed everybody by attacking them and by openly fighting against them, and he's not only not dead, but he's apparently one of these terrorists. He apparently is Lulu. What would lead them to that conclusion? Well, yeah, Red Eddie's affiliation, but I digress. In a battle of Monty the Python and Red Eddie versus the Snake Squad, the Snake Squad won, and Reagan had to rescue them. The snakes, battered and injured, ran off from the situation while Monty's half-dead body and Eddie, still recovering from poison, were brought back to the base, and the docs out of them. Now, Ronan Al Shang. When outside to deal with a coalition specialist, and it wasn't even worth rolling dice over. It was just a bad day for the government. So, all of those agents died, and the Sams took off once they actually delivered that capsule. Now, ah, the capsule. So, the group regrouped, got some medical attention, and they thought that they'd won until something started knocking on their door. The door for that pipe. The safe way in that they found? Yes. Well, that's, again, where they left the capsule. Now, when the wall went to get that filter, she saw the capsule, but she also saw that it was empty. Huh. The flooding thing is happening. We built our dam. We control the water, so nothing's being flooded, and everything's good. So the water's all clearing out, and all the water is good and healthy now. Well, <laughs> with all the water healthy, well, that leaves, not only is the base not surrounded by water anymore, but it's also accessible by whole government squadrons now. So the group kind of didn't realize at the time that they'd lost their protective shield. And then there was that capsule. Something had broken out of there, something big. And it was at this point in time that they, <laughs> they had a guest. Something came knocking on their cistern door, and it would be the basilisk. Now, it's not a true basilisk, it's a mutated monster. This 100-foot giant snake also had centipede legs on it. Did it have a paralytic gaze? 
No, I'm afraid the Coalition didn't know how to do that. But it could shoot lasers out of its eyes. It could do that. It also had toxic and fire-based breath weapons. And it also did have, yes, large snake-like teeth. And, again, yes, it had centipede legs. The giant centipede snake that broke into the base from the underwater port, it exploded up through that and started wreaking havoc and attacking everybody it could. This was the really big fight that the entire group had to get in on. The wall did a large amounts of damage to it, beat it up something fierce, busted it up, broke it up. She made a pretty good account of herself. Z and Reagan, not so much, because... The the two of them basically <laughs> shut and locked the door to the computer room and stayed inside there where it was safe. They're survivors. Maddie's a survivor. She would have been useful in that fight, but still, she's a survivor, and I understood. The Doc was not involved in that fight. Neither was Monty, and neither was Al. Al actually did get damaged in the fighting. He had to be fixed again. So he couldn't fight. Uh, the Doc can't fix him. The Doc was just keeping an eye on Oh, that was, that was Z's other thing. That was the other reason why they shut and locked the door. Z had to fix Al. So Z was fixing Al, so the snake was not in the fight. The Doc was not in the fight. Z, Al, and Reagan were not in the fight. Everybody else was. So that would be, again, the Wall, the Demon Llama, Red Eddie the Wolverine, Ronan the Samurai, Mortimer the, uh, the Ninja Turtle, and the Tiny Heine. Yes, yeah, sorry, there we go. That's the six. Six on one giant critter snake, and the group did win. They beat the snake to death. They destroyed it. Oh, there was someone else in that fight as well. Since the Doc couldn't be involved in that fight, someone had the brilliant idea that Fred needed to be in this fight. Yeah, please feel free, you see any of my players, to chide them about bringing a six-year-old girl into a combat situation. This is not a Final Fantasy game. This is not a Legends of Symphonia game, okay? You bring a child into a fight, uh, there's nothing magical or supernatural that's going to protect them. They're just going to get killed. Now, that's not so in Fred's case, and I'm sorry, I, I kind of put myself in a catch-22 right there, because the child in this story actually is a supernatural, magical thing. Wow. So I guess, sorry everybody, I guess the group actually knew what it was doing in the first place. Uh, ignore that last command. So, <clears throat> Fred was in the fight, but uh, as a healer only and healing was needed, but she is still a kid, and for as much ISP as she has, she doesn't have a lot of PPE. And, well, yeah, she does have a lot of ISP, but most of it went into creating force fields to protect herself from the snake as it attacked back and forth. And again, she did only create enough mega damage to basically protect herself when the snake attacked her, and it basically dropped her force field every time it smacked at her. So, yeah, her healing abilities were kind of limited by the end of this fight. Now, that doesn't change the fact that the wall, she took two Coalition C-15 fire breathers and turned them into size. On the bottom half of these weapons, you've got these size, but they're also gun handles that extend to massive ribbed rifle barrels that have grenade launcher ends on both ends of them. So yeah, she's made these amazing, awesome, giant size. So yes, she has the most awesome size in the world, and did she blow up and stab and beat that snake? Something fierce? Yes, she did. Most of the snake's natural mega damage was depleted because of her. And I'm afraid Shang didn't make a very good account of himself, because he kept trying to mutate the creature. So he leaped into its mouth and basically poured mutagen into it. This had a very dire and severe effect on the creature. It started to change, it started to mutate, it started to swipe all of the powers of everyone who had touched it. Thankfully, Ronan, the samurai, leaped up and stabbed it through the head. Now, this led to one of the funniest moments in game. Uh, Ronan was the other person who dealt a lot of damage to the Basilisk, and he took he basically took out the rest of it. Um, he, uh, he and the wall did the serious work of chopping it up and dealing damage to it and drawing its fire, and then Ronan successfully stabbed it through the head, only to then be shot by Eddie. Eddie shot. He's shooting at a 100-foot snake, 
and he hit the three-foot-tall guy standing on the snake's head. So, a hilarious moment that actually happened. And then, well, the mutagenic effects. Well, James did successfully put mutagen in the creature's throat. And, well, the effect was the snake didn't make the saving throw. So, yes, the snake exploded. It blew up violently and smeared mutagenic offalage all over everyone. So, did Ronan get mutated further? No, Ronan is the one person who did not get mutated further, and that's because Ed shot him and he fell off the snake, so he didn't get mutated. But Shang, Heine, and Ed all suffered further mutations. Oh, and the wall. They all suffered further mutations. Now, I touched on this before, and the wall was the one who got the lucky roll. The wall, who was spending her bio e-points to become more human, well, got a human boost this time around, and yeah, lost her tail and her facial hair. And she'd already spent the points so that she had hands and feet instead of flippers, so yeah, now she just looks like a giant blonde with a bad tan job and the tusks. Well, and Ed considers himself lucky as well because he turned into Doomsday from DC. Spiny bony protrusions suddenly exploded from all of his joints, but he did live, and now he's covered in, in spiky bits. So now he started calling himself Spike, and he was happy with what happened to him. Heine? Not so much. She was no longer the tiny Heine. She suffered a growth spurt. The tiny Heine was expanded. So she suddenly found herself six feet tall and 300 plus pounds. Uh, no longer the tiny Heine, now she's the royal Heine. <laughs> oh man, was she pissed. And uh, Groot. Oh, and, uh, sorry. And Shang earned his new title, and as has been hinted at in previous episodes, he, well, he actually wasn't going to live at first. He is the one that Fred him running out and with her last bits of, I of ISP healed him. But when she did, she needed material. She didn't have a first aid kit. And so basically, now, what she did have, though, as I told you and explained before, she was trained. Everyone in the group taught her a specific skill. Eddie taught her how to use a weapon. Uh, the Heine taught her how to stand her ground. Z taught her how to kick. The Llama taught her, well, um, he basically did the winter training with her. He toughened her up. And I believe Mani taught her how to do a judo flip. Yeah, so she has these martial arts skills. And she also has, well, Eddie's gift to her of nunchucks, or wand chucks, as it were, because she had, like, these two sticks, or magic wands, as they told her, because she's six years old, after all. And so the only thing that she had was her, was her wand chucks. And so the only thing she could think to do was, as she walked up to the llama, was she touched him with her wand chucks and said heal. Well, which was based upon cute factor, and she did actually have the ISP to do a healing touch, so by group decision it was allowed, even for the despicable wretch, but it was also just because, well, Fred was just being in character and didn't want to see any of her friends die. So, as you can expect, the wood suddenly became a part of the llama's physiological structure, and now you honestly would never have known what animal he originally was because, well, she healed him, but now his new name, Shangroot. She turned him into a tree. He is not covered in scales anymore. He is now a llama made entirely of wood. And he is bigger and viney and completely full of mutagen, which was the other drawback now. The, the mutagen is now officially in his blood. Oh, right, because he jumped on the basilisk, the basilisk exploded, and all the mutagen that he had made, yeah, got dumped all over him. So was he dying? I, I think he actually was, yeah. And so, or no, well, there's the explosion... Plus, he was dying, healed him, and when Fred healed him and touched him with the wand chucks, the wand chucks went away. Uh, I'm not sure if this is discussed later, so I'll discuss it now. Uh, mass transfer. The chucks went away because part of the creature gets spent to provide the energy for the reaction. So thus, 
The Wanchucks went away, and he was suddenly made of wood. But the basilisk was still murdered. It didn't grow back. They got rid of the remains of that. James gathered all of the biological samples. He also gathered samples for the doc, who decided, okay, we've had enough of this. I need to create an anti-mutagen. This is getting out of hand. So the doc's closing moves is, I'm going to create an anti-mutagen. Shane did not want to help, but, uh, well, Heine really did. Heine does not like being a giant gerbil this time around. Oh, and in a phenomenal effort, and this time it actually did happen, Everyone was so mad at Shangroot over these events when Eddie and Heine and the Doc and the Wall and Ronan, this time when they all teamed up on him, he didn't win. They beat him up, they tore him to pieces, and they failed to kill him, though, which is what they didn't account for. In character, they thought they had, because they thought that tearing him apart would actually murder him. No, he's a tree now. He grew back and laughed about it, which really had the group upset at him now, especially in character, but, you know, que sera, sera, sera. You gotta learn which people you can destroy and which ones you can't at this point. So, thus, pretty much ended the session with uh, the group uh, in control of the base, but the base is damaged and it can't defend itself, and even though they have a dam, they're no longer protected by the water that was saving them. But, never fear, Mortimer, who did a lot of avoiding and did a lot to stay alive, his closing moves, along with uh, Eddie and the wall, they got a lot of the holes in the base patched. They got the defenses up and running again. They actually made a, a weapon. They made specialized rounds out of that nano material. So basically, every time uh, you, you score a critical with these specialized rounds that they made, the rounds pierce the armor so that the living person inside gets zapped with this nano machine, and then, uh, which then just automatically kills them. So that was their closing moves, and Monty is lamenting the fact that his cover has been totally blown now and there is nobody to write it off because Mortimer's with them now. Safe bet knows that the government knows that they're both still alive and the government probably both thinks that they're part of the loo. But he planned on using that. Uh, he and Mortimer had this plan to get in contact with their old contacts and just say, look, we're I know we're still alive, but we're just undercover. That, that was their big closing move and that was their big plan. And everyone else basically just did what they could to get the base defenses operational again. And the closing plan, though, was this monster. They created this thing, this massive, horrible thing. And Reagan gets the big dun-dun-dun moment at the end when she tells everyone that the Basiliscopede, yeah, he's a Lot 17. And they've had some Lot 17 successes. And they're like, the hell you say? And she's like, yeah, at least four. And so it was like, oh, crap. The big lead into the next episode is Lot 17 successes. We're not the only successes that they've had with this, with these experiments anymore. Their new successes are not human. They're monsters. They are weapons. We've got to put an end to this. We've got to find the base where they're making this stuff and, and do away with it. So this has been episode 11 called The Flood. That didn't work. The group actually are heroes and they save the slums, but at great mutating costs to certain members of the party. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you everyone for listening and for your support. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness and Rifts are trademarks of Millennium Books Incorporated, and all other music and media are the property of their prospective owners. Lot 16 is a trademark of Doom Squid's films, and the characters created herewith are also trademarked to the same. I'd like to thank all the people who made this possible. Uh, Jeff Diamond, James Spencer, Leon Andrew Whitaker, Heidi Grover, Mark Roberg, Joe Helwell, Ibbett and Tyler Owens, and Maddie and Mac Burton. Until next time, thank you. <laughs>